I'm Alexander Hefner, your host on The Open Mind. You're listening to our podcast edition of the program. I'm delighted to welcome Michael Kink to our broadcast today. He is Executive Director of Strong Economy for All Coalition. Thanks so much for joining me today, Michael. Thanks for having me, Alexander. Good to be here. Uh, Michael, what should New Yorkers expect from Governor Cuomo right now amid this economic crisis and this pandemic that they just haven't gotten, frankly? Governor Cuomo says he's a national progressive leader. And what a national progressive leader would do in this time of crisis is to rally all New Yorkers together, rich and poor, working class and billionaire class, unemployed and rolling in dough to work together to move the state forward. Uh, There was a time during the summer, during the uprising over police brutality, when Governor Cuomo was talking the talk, where he talked about addressing New York's worst in the nation inequality, where he talked about addressing longstanding inequities in education and public health and housing and jobs. But right now, he is really not showing up for that conversation when other governors of big blue states are really moving and making progress. So if Governor Cuomo was showing up, he'd be calling on the very wealthy to pay their fair share to invest in a New York that works for everybody. One example of a leader who has taken progressive policy and made it reality is Governor Murphy. Um, And and of course, he had advocated for an expansion of the millionaire's tax in New Jersey prior to the pandemic. But what specific tangible actions assuming this governor is governor for the duration of this term, do you think can be lobbied successfully? I think Governor Cuomo is on one right track. We do need substantial assistance from the federal government. Uh, A new Democratic Senate led by Chuck Schumer, a new president uh, in the form of Joe Biden, a new vice president, Kamala Harris, uh, continuing uh, leadership in the House from Speaker Nancy Pelosi, we would be likely to see a multi-trillion dollar package that includes significant fiscal relief for states, significant aid to education, significant investments in infrastructure and jobs. But there is very unlikely to be enough money to address these deep long-standing inequities. And that's where Governor Cuomo could and should take a leadership role. Our coalition has been working labor unions, community groups, indivisible groups, uh, people-powered resistance groups all over New York to come with a package of legislation that are tax reforms that ask the people, the billionaires, the multimillionaires to pay more, uh, to move forward with a small sales tax on stock trades in Wall Street, like you pay a sales tax on a cup of coffee at the bodega or a diner, Uh, common sense proposals that are not confiscatory taxation that would get New York's tax structure closer to where it was in our longest period of shared prosperity when we were able to pay for things like the SUNY and CUNY systems, Mitchell-Lama housing, uh, things that were investments in public goods that benefited everyone. Governor Cuomo could bring that. He could bring it in January. He could bring it in conjunction with federal advocacy, 
on the right kind of relief from a new uh, empowered progressive government in Washington, but he's got to do it for New York. We need him to weigh in on tax bills, revenue bills, and budgets that are fair, budgets that bring a measure of justice instead of continuing uh, austerity and inequality. On the one hand, Governor Cuomo is advocating for the Democrats to take back the Senate and of course, for the Biden campaign. On the other hand, uh, one of Cuomo's mega donors is lobbying against Democratic candidates at the local level so that there is not a supermajority that can implement some of the progressive reforms. Um, so based on that, on that paradox, where do you think it leaves us after this election? Well, you know, the the super PAC you refer to, Alexander, is a really shady situation. Ron Lauder, a pro-Trump billionaire, has donated millions to Trump's inaugural and to Republican Party campaigns and projects, has uh, kind of self-created a, a $4 million super PAC to trash Democrats with racist attack ads in hopes that they won't create a significant supermajority in the state Senate. The uh, deeply racist uh, pro-Trump Patrolman's Benevolent Association, the the police officers union uh, dived in with another million dollars. So these attack ads are the standard playbook of dog whistle racism in America. You know, money from the billionaire class being used for racist attack ads to divide working people from one another, black, white, Latino and Asian. And I think that Governor Cuomo is going to be unsuccessful. I think the blue wave is going to continue to sweep across New York. I think there are a lot of amazing, dynamic new uh, members that you'll like to likely to see in both the state Senate and the assembly. And there's going to be more appetite for investments that will address longstanding inequities and inequalities and more appetite for fair taxes on the super rich. And I think Cuomo's going to have to get with that program. He's trying to fight against the tide. He has been fighting against the tide for a decade and the accumulated impact of his austerity, his budget cuts, his failure to move forward with fair taxes bit New York in the butt during the COVID crisis, literally caused tens of thousands of deaths from underinvestment in public health, in housing, in the basic infrastructure that human societies use to fight diseases. New York used to have the kind of public health system that people traveled around from around the world to see. I worked in HIV AIDS back in the 80s and 90s and early 2000s. And the New York public health system was the pride of New York, was literally an international beacon of quality. And that system, after decades of disinvestment from Pataki, from uh, 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 Patterson, from Cuomo, budget cuts after budget cuts, prioritizing protecting the wealth and income of billionaires over the good of regular New Yorkers, that uh, disinvestment caused a lot of damage. We're going to have to build it back up. 
And I think these new legislators are going to confront Cuomo with that crisis. They're going to have their own plans that may be better than his. There's going to be a competition of ideas in Albany, the likes that we haven't seen in a long, long time. And I'm looking forward to working with anybody, including Governor Cuomo, who wants to carry out these fair share reforms so we can move the state forward. As a practical matter, Michael, what would that supermajority enable? Well, you know, for example, there are six bills kicking around the legislature that have very strong support, Uh, you know, uh, dozens and dozens of lawmakers co-sponsoring them. Uh, 105 lawmakers signed a statement this summer supporting fair taxes on the rich instead of budget cuts that hurt regular New Yorkers. A billionaire's tax on the unrealized capital gains of billionaires would raise $23 billion in the first year and a billion two each year after that. An ultra millionaires tax, slightly higher income tax rates at the top end for people making over a million, 5 million, 10 million, or a hundred million a year would raise about four and a half billion dollars a year. The Pieta Tear Tax, a tax on the luxury second and third and fourth and fifth homes of the international wealthy, uh, just homes that aren't your primary residence, just homes worth over $5 million, that would bring in $600, $650 million a year. We could tax private equity companies buying large numbers of apartments the way regular families pay a mortgage recording tax when they buy an apartment or a home that would bring in $500 million a year. And then a simple sales tax on Wall Street, the kind that we had in place from 1905 to 1981 that helped New York invest in the kinds of education and healthcare and housing that was the the envy of the nation, Um, that would raise up to $14, $15 billion a year. You've got a $45 billion a year package that combined with federal uh, assistance would provide a real platform for building New York back from this epidemic in a just way. Budget justice, not just a budget that like meets the deadline, but a budget that actually meets the needs of 19 and a half million New Yorkers, including communities of color, including homeless New Yorkers, including people who have been left out of these decades of prosperity. Let's deal them back in with investments in public goods that will pay off in terms of jobs. This is going to benefit the economy. It's not going to hurt it. On all those issues, Governor Cuomo has punted to date. So a supermajority in one, if not both chambers of the legislative branch in the state would serve as a catalyst to force Cuomo's hand. What do you think has to change in order for him to, to quote you, get with the program? Well, you know, I think that's exactly right, Alexander. We need something that would force his hand. And I think one good example is what happened on housing a year ago. Uh, Tenant advocates from all over New York, certainly from New York City, but all across upstate, all across Long Island and Westchester, the lower Hudson Valley, organized around a set of bills that would protect Senate, uh, protect tenants and address the unfairness in the housing laws that, you know, got created from decades of Republican control in Albany. Um, Those organizers built power in the Senate and the Assembly 
strengthened the hand of the Senate leader, Andrea Stewart-Cousins, and the Assembly leader, Assembly Speaker Carl Hastie. And they passed bills that they pitched over to Governor Cuomo that were incredibly popular, that benefited millions of tenants, and basically dared him to veto it. Said, these are good bills. This is a good package. This is going to help all New Yorkers. You should be in favor of this. And if we need to do that on taxes, we can do it. There are wonky structural issues with the making of budgets in New York. There are ways in which the Constitution arguably gives the governor more power than many other governors in the budget making process. But any time that big majorities of both houses support something like fair taxes on the rich, passing bills and putting them in the governor's lap, nine out of 10 New Yorkers support these proposals. It's not going to be something that he's going to be able to veto. It's not going to be something he's going to want to veto. And it's going to create actual good options if Andrew Cuomo has ambitions going forward. Uh, Joe Biden has said pretty clearly he's a transitional figure, that he wants to serve and he wants to open the door to others. There's no debate over the fact that Governor Cuomo has ambitions, including national ambitions. His campaign for president would be way more popular if he did something like taxing the super rich to invest in housing and healthcare and education, particularly addressing those structural inequalities that so many New Yorkers know about and so many voters care about. It's something that would help the state. And I think there's a way in which it would help Cuomo. I really hope that he could get his head around the current state of the economy, the current state of politics, the current state of society, because this is something that he could get in front of and lead. And that's something he's done before. You know, he did that on the first millionaire's tax. He did that on the fight for 15. He was not necessarily the biggest champion of gay marriage before he jumped out in front and got it passed. So I think Governor Cuomo can see uh, that most New Yorkers want this, that most New Yorkers need this. I really hope that he will see the opportunity to take leadership in the session that we've got coming up in January. Governor Cuomo's posture is awfully reminiscent of Leader Schumer's. And I recall at the Al Smith dinner, there was chatter in 2016 about how he was contemplating his post as majority leader and that uh, he and Secretary Clinton were uh, preparing for a Clinton-Kane presidency. Uh, Of course, that did not come to fruition. And there is just something eerily parallel in Cuomo's refusal to behave like it's high time to and Democrats, uh, especially Democrats on the Judiciary Committee uh, who moved forward with Barrett's nomination. They didn't boycott her per hearing. Uh, Diane Feinstein, of course, who um, r- remarked th- that it was a very favorable experience. My, my point to, to you, Michael, is this. If, if, in fact, Donald Trump wins re-election and Governor Cuomo does not resign, he will have you know, a, a hugely, um, you know, a hugely problematic budgetary position. And it is unclear that he would be compassionate 
and invest in the state however he needed to, whatever loans he needed to take. And so I'm, I'm wondering from your vantage point, if that were to be this scenario, and, and let's assume also that the Democrats did not take back the Senate and the federal government remains as it is today, where does that leave New York? Well, first of all, I'll second your observation that the governor's inaction has been irresponsible. There's no question about it. He's actively made the economic and social situation in New York worse. His insistence on these rolling 20% across the board budget cuts, his his refusal to tax the rich has meant that New Yorkers are already losing thousands and thousands and thousands of jobs every month. Three million people on unemployment this month. Other states, governors are doing things. J.B. Pritzker borrowed a bunch of money to get the state of Illinois through the short. Phil Murphy taxed the millionaires and move forward with a a fairly large scale set of uh, PIT bonds that financed New Jersey's future for the next year, year and a half. In California, Gavin Newsom similarly has a chance to tax the millionaires, has a chance to prevent large scale budget cuts. Andrew Cuomo pretty much stands alone in his insistence on harsh cuts and austerity in his refusal to tax the billionaire. So he's hurt us already in terms of economic impact. If his dice roll comes up snake eyes and we get nothing in Washington, it's even worse. Now, the revenue raisers that we're proposing can close the budget gap. We can do this without budget cuts. But I think the groups I work with, community organizing groups that work in low-income, black and brown communities, labor unions that represent millions of workers, teachers, healthcare workers, communication workers, nurses all over New York. These folks want to see not just a stopgap measure that prevents more budget cuts, but some actual investment in the future. And it's an open question as to whether Governor Cuomo is creative enough, thoughtful enough, or progressive enough to do it. He certainly knows how to work the levers of government to score political points. He certainly knows how to screw Bill de Blasio when he wants to make the mayor of New York City look bad. He certainly knows how to get national attention with daily press conferences and snazzy PowerPoints. But when it comes to preventing large-scale job loss, when it comes to addressing historic levels of inequality and inequity, Governor Cuomo hadn't really been doing anything. And he's been actively making things worse with his insistence on budget cuts and austerity. So, you know, what we get on election day, what we get in January, absolutely a wide open question. It will be a lot better if we have Democrats in control in Washington and a more solid majority in the state Senate and the state assembly in New York. But one way or another, New York is not broke. New York is not busted. We have more billionaires and multimillionaires than anywhere else in the country. And what we have right now, you've read it in the newspapers, the business pages, we have this K-shaped recovery, quote unquote, from the pandemic where there's a small number of people that are doing better and better. The Federal Reserve has juiced the economy with huge amounts of low cost cash. Our 120 billionaires in New York are $77 billion richer now than they were 
when the pandemic hit the hardest and the lockdown started and the death swept across New York in March. They're richer. They made more money while everyone else has suffered and we have 3 million unemployed. So if we're going to address that K-shaped economy, we're going to have to do it with tax policy, with economic policy, with public policy in Albany that can really make a difference. And if we have a partner in the federal government, it'll be way better and way easier. And if we don't, we still can do it because we are a big, rich state with a ton of rich people. And what we need to do is work together. The kind of thing that Governor Cuomo's father used to call New York to do. We used to be called a family. We used to be called a community. The least among us and those who have the most were called to work together. Governor Cuomo doesn't say that too much. And you can use some of the stirring speeches from Mario Cuomo, the Democratic Convention in 1984. There were a lot of moments when Cuomo's knew how to talk about this and knew how to act about it. It's time for that to happen again now. Michael, you're absolutely correct pointing out the billionaires are flying high. Do you think that the Biden-Harris campaign and that Senate Dems across the country have adequately reinforced that point that the bailout has, was once again at the top and that regular folks are struggling. Um, but as folks have lost their jobs and folks have died and lost loved ones to the pandemic, uh, billionaires have just gotten you know more and more and more wealthy. Have, have the Democrats emphasized that enough, uh, Biden and the Senate Dem candidates? I'm glad they've talked about it some, but I would really like to hear them talking about it more. This is something that really cuts across uh, 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 racial lines and and partisan lines. There are a lot of pissed off Fox News Republicans that know that the billionaire class is getting away with a lot. And that was part of Trump's campaign the first time he ran in in, in 2016. I have heard Vice President Biden and Senator Harris talking about the K-shaped economy, talking about addressing inequality, talking about economic unfairness. But I really think they need to dig in in many of these states where they need to win and to send a message more broadly to the country that fair taxes are entirely appropriate and they actually help the economy. The more we grow the economy, from uh, the middle class out, from the working class up. Um, That's an economy that's stronger and more prosperous for everybody. And, you know, the Biden-Harris tax plan undoes a lot of the Trump tax cuts for the rich, cracks down on some of the worst corporate loopholes. Uh, But we would really like to see the kinds of coordinated federal and state response where Uh, the uh, vice president, when he becomes president, takes leadership to pass bills in Congress that encourage states to move forward with things like income and wealth taxes, to address inequality, things that provide more federal funding or distributed federal funding for states that take action. Let me ask you as a final question, Michael. Uh, We discussed this with Dan Clark my colleague in the public television system. Governor Cuomo, not only has he done virtually nothing in terms of economic mobilization to fight the pandemic, uh, he he did very little, uh, if anything, to prepare the state infrastructure for November 3rd, Election Day. So in New York, by law, in a typical year, folks will start 
counting in respective counties and jurisdictions absentee or mail ballots seven days after election day. I don't think most of the voting public in the state is aware of that. Of course, some people may opt to vote early instead of on election day, but it's stunning to me the ill preparedness in the wake of the Maloney Patel race and now anticipating Donald Trump's fake election victory declaration that he may use a certain percent of precincts reporting in New York when we haven't counted absentee or mail ballots yet to, to substantiate or attempt to substantiate his claim about being competitive in a reliably blue state. And I, and I anticipate that unless the victory in New York is so overwhelming that it may remain competitive through a certain number of percent precincts reporting. And the governor, not only did he fail to implement same-day registration, he failed to really come up with a prescription for a sooner counting of those mail and absentee ballots. And I'm wondering if you're concerned about that because we have to get through the counting process in order to have potentially a new, a new president or a new Senate. Yeah, Alexander, I am concerned. I think it's crazy. It's just ridiculous that New York has such an antiquated system. It's ridiculous that, you know, uh, the, the, the structure of the Board of Elections and the operation of elections is so antiquated and congealed with political patronage and, you know, flat out graft. Uh, I hope and trust we can work through it. I think you're right that Dan- Donald Trump will try to score any crazy political points that he can make on election night. Uh, I think you saw not just in the Maloney uh, uh, Patel race, but in you know all of the contested state elections too. Insurgent campaigns campaigns blowing out to victory uh, as mail-in ballots were counted. Significant changes and significant demonstration of the power of the left and progressives in New York politics. So I think that one of the many things that will be on Albany's to-do list for the new session is going to be another wave of serious election reform. Uh, We have gone from worst in the nation to middling status in the nation. There is no reason that New York should not be best in the nation, easiest to vote, easiest with multiple options, same-day registration, every single thing that makes it easier to vote should be operationalized in New York. We should stop the ridiculous patronage uh, 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 job uh, structure in the various boards of election and open it up to something that actually encourages people to vote, actually encourages people to participate, and that creates uh, a lot of new public jobs for uh, uh, people that have the public good in mind, as opposed to their political party in mind. Uh, The election system is just a rotten mess, uh, similar to the tax system. And we we need a top to bottom overhaul of both of them. Michael Kink, Executive Director of Stronger Economy for All Coalition. Thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks, Alexander.